Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Royal Caribbean's Harmony of the Seas this week out of Port Canaveral. And staff writer Richard Sims is here with Cruise Cruise news, actually, uh, I guess one last time before he leaves on his cruise next week. Don't forget, cruise news today, the three things you need to know to start your day every Monday through Friday. You can find it on the Cruise Radio YouTube channel or just opposite of this by searching cruise news today. All right, staff writer Richard Sims on deck. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. So Royal Caribbean and Celebrity dropped some more mandates on most voyages. There's a scene in the movie Poltergeist where Tangina, who's like the – you might remember is the very short woman who uh, kind of comes to clean their house of evil spirits, throws open her arms and says, all are welcome. Well, that's kind of what Royal Caribbean is doing right now. They're basically saying that starting September 5th, all guests, regardless of vaccination status, can sail. There are, of course, some restrictions. And, you know, for example, if you're sailing to a country like Bermuda or Canada, which requires people to be vaccinated, then everybody on board has to be vaccinated. And this is where we need to remind everybody, as we have been doing every week, that you should really Really stay in close contact with your cruise line, your travel professional, to make sure that the you know regulations and restrictions in place for the cruise line are echoed on both your particular sailing and the destination that you're heading to. Because if you're going somewhere that has different regulations than does the ship, the ship is going to follow those regulations. Um, I have a sailing coming up in a week to Bermuda, and there's been a lot of questions about whether people need to show, you know, have testing done before or not. My policy right now is if I'm going on a cruise, I'm going to take that test and show up at the pier with a negative test, whether they require it or not. So that if at the last minute there's some screw up or for some reason they decide that they're going to ask for a test, I have one, you know, in my little phone and can say, yep, just took it yesterday. Good to go. So just stay on top of these things, because as much as we're trying to keep you updated, they change really quickly. So this leaves what? Just Disney, the only major cruise player in North America to be requiring vaccinations? I believe that is true, yeah, but so. don't quote me on it because okay. like, you know, because by tomorrow that could not be true. <laughs> that is true. And Carnival Luminosa, the itineraries got listed on Carnival's website finally. This is really exciting. Um this is sort of like getting a new ship that's not a new ship. And I always get excited about new ships. So the Luminosa is actually a Costa ship that is joining the Carnival fleet. And it'll be debuting as Carnival Luminosa on November 6th, 2022. She'll spend her first few months with Carnival sailing out of her Australian home port of Brisbane, Australia. But 
after that, she's going to come to the U.S. There's going to be a 22-night sailing, which leaves Brisbane on April 13th of 2023, heading for Seattle. Once the ship arrives there, she'll start doing seven-night Alaska sailings. The big question people have had is, you know, how different will this ship be um, compared to other Carnival ships? And we don't have a whole lot of information about that yet, but Carnival's brand ambassador, John Heald, has been sort of letting a few things slip as he talks about this. He says that there will definitely be some changes made to, for lack of a better word, carnivalize. I don't even know if that's a real word, but we're going to pretend it is. Um, Carnivalizing the ship, but it will also really maintain a lot of the things that make it distinctly Italian. So it's going to be really cool if if you're available to, if you're looking to go to Alaska and want to do it on a ship that you haven't sailed, this is a good opportunity to check out a new ship, the uh, Luminosa. Yeah, I also want to encourage you to check out some ship tours of this vessel on YouTube because it's pretty, uh, I guess, Joe Farkasy. Is that what we'd say, Richard? I would definitely say that. It's got some really cool elements. And that's, you know, one of the questions is I don't think that they're going to necessarily go in and do a huge remake. You know, this isn't going to be like when Carnival Joy or I mean, I'm sorry, Norwegian Joy, which was designed for the Asian market, when it switched over to the American market, they massively redid that ship. This is not going to be the same thing. Carnival, I don't see Carnival spending, you know, millions and millions of dollars to transform this ship. Instead, they're going to really sell the things that make it distinct, that make it unique, and that, you know, sort of give it that Italian flair. I'm really stoked to see what this ship ends up looking like when it gets here. I was pricing that transatlantic thir- or transpacific rather thirty day crossing for the end of next year, and uh, for two people, balcony is like eleven thousand dollars. Ooh, you know, boy. I mean, but that's thirty days. Yeah, that's, exactly. You know, when you figure that you know you can pay eleven thousand dollars for a week in a high end suite, or you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the ship within the ship concepts, you could pay eleven thousand easily for that. So for thirty days in a balcony, that ain't bad. And thirty days for a suite on there is twenty one grand. I was having some fun with pricing yesterday. Yeah, apparently so. So <laughs> so I assume you then went out and bought a lottery ticket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a double header for Grand Cayman this week. Yeah, the, a lot of news coming out of uh, Grand Cayman and the Cayman Islands. So effective August 24th, so by the time you hear this, all travelers, vaccinated and unvaccinated, are permitted to enter the Cayman Islands without the need of additional documents or health-related steps you know, that were brought on by the pandemic. That is coming directly from the officials there. Uh, this is obviously big news. It's one of the last Caribbean islands to drop this. And again, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that all sailings are going to follow these rules. It's a, it goes back to that same thing we've been saying, check with your line, check with your with the, uh, the details with your travel professional about your individual sailing. But this is more good news, more of the world going, you know, sort of back to normal. And, you know, who knows, maybe three months from now, we'll decide this was all a big mistake and everybody will be back to like having requirements. But for right now, those have been dropped. Meanwhile, it looks as if the Georgetown Harbor could possibly maybe be thinking about installing floating docks. That would be similar to what you see in Port Royal in Jamaica. Now, this isn't the first idea or the first time that this idea has been floated, pun intended. But after visiting Jamaica earlier this year, the tourism minister, Kenneth Bryan, 
kind of came back having looked at those docs and said, yeah, let's revisit this idea. You might recall that a while back, Georgetown talked about the possibility of sort of putting in a permanent birthing facility, but that went down in flames. Uh, so there are absolutely no plans to move forward with any kind of peer or you know, floating or otherwise right now. But it's being floated again as if they're testing the waters to see how this goes with, you know, probably with both the uh, residents of the area, but also with the cruise lines. Would they be interested in this? Because, you know, they need funding and things like that. So, you know, we might get it. We might not. We'll see. Well, it's certainly a good alternative to, you know, drilling on the seabed where all that coral is. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I think we're seeing more and more focus on, whether it's from the the ships, the cruise lines and the destinations that they visit, it's paying attention to the environment. And that's never a bad thing. Exactly. And Princess goes all in on bidding like we've seen with other cruise lines doing. Yeah, very much so. This is very, very, very similar. What Princess is doing is almost a mirror image of what you see on, for example, Norwegian Cruise Line. Um, they're giving people the option to bid for an upgrade. Now, remember, we always say, get the stateroom that you want. And then if you want to bid on an upgrade, great, you know, do it. But you don't want to, like, book an inside room that you're going to hate in the hope that you get an upgrade because you may not get it. But here's the way it's going to work for Princess Upgrade. The process will begin five days after the final payment date. So if the final payment date is 75 days before sailing, then bidding to upgrade will open 70 days before the sailing. Not everybody will be able to bid. Your bid will be priced per person based on two guests per stateroom for the length of your cruise. So what that means is, I usually travel by myself. And so if let's say I place a $500 bid to upgrade from, you know, one style of balcony to a better balcony. If I win that bid as a single cruiser, I'm going to be charged not the $500 I bid, but $1,000. But the reverse of that, let's say you have four people staying in the room and you bid that same $500. You are also only going to be charged $1,000. The third and fourth person in the room are not, um, they, they, they don't count. It's always done as a double occupancy. So that's really important to know. Right now, the upgrade process will be available on five ships that are based in North America. It'll be the Caribbean, Discovery, Enchanted, Regal, and Ruby Princess. And that starts in September, but they're hoping to actually roll it out across all of the fleet by the end of October. This article got a lot of pushback when we published it because uh, there was a lot commenting saying, why would you even do that? Just book the room you want. Yes, but also, first off, it's my vacation money. Why are you worried about it? And two, <laughs> if I want to go from a balcony to the Haven or whatever Princess has there, or from an inside to an ocean view, and I could do it for a hundred bucks. Why not? Yeah. One thing I always say is to make sure you check and see what you would be paying if you just booked what that room is to begin with. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, people go crazy on their bids and they place these really outrageous bids that, well, of course they're going to get it because <laughs> the cruise line couldn't make that much money if they originally marketed it at that price. It's also, I have had opportunities to, for example, I once was sailing on a Norwegian ship. I was in an inside room. It was only, it was a short trip, but it was only two or three days. So I was like, okay, I can do an inside for a couple days. 
Uh, and I, I placed like a $50 bid, which when I won turned into $100 because I was traveling solo. And for that, I went from uh, a an inside room to a super cool uh, uh, ocean view room. And it was 100% worth it. There are drawbacks to it. For example you don't get to choose the room you're going to. Like if you win, if you upgrade from an inside to, or from a, let's say from an ocean view to a balcony, you could wind up underneath a bowling alley, you know, because they, they, they pick the room that you're going to be assigned. So that's definitely a drawback. But if you're the kind of person who maybe wants to take a chance and likes gambling and doesn't want to spend a lot of money, you know, place a low bid. Worst case scenario, you don't win and you don't get charged anything. This is a free service. It's not like mm-hmm. you have to pay ten dollars to do it so why not and now a story about a story so this is the storylines ship um we've been hearing about this for years and years and i will be the first to admit that i've been skeptical that this is ever going to happen but this is another of the ships sort of like the world where um it's going to be basically you can live on a cruise ship and of course we talk about that all the time what would it cost what would it be like in this case this is the latest residential cruise ship and it has signed a contract with the folks at Brodasplit to actually build the ship supposedly for a 2025 delivery date. The ship, once completed, would have 547 staterooms of various sizes at a cost of $1.5 billion to build. What's interesting about that to me is that the parent company of Brodasplit is sort of having some financial difficulties right now. So on the one hand, I'm sure they could use $1.5 million coming in to build this ship. But on the other, I don't know. I'm still a little skeptical. Uh, obviously, the big question everybody has is what would it cost to live on this ship? So I went on the website and did a little research. It looks like we were both doing some pricing this week. An interior room with a Murphy bed, that's the kind of bed that folds out of the wall, that's going to set you back $620,000 for a 24-year lease, or if you want to buy it for the life of the ship, it would be just north of a million dollars. A balcony will start at around $950,000 for a 24-year lease, with the lifetime of the ship price being $1.6 million. That's the basics. That's for the room. Um, and and you can also go all the way up to like a three bedroom for around eight million. At that point, you know, if you're paying eight million, I you're probably not caring whether that's the price for 24 years or the life of the <laughs> ship. Um, you also have to pay um, a monthly fee uh, or an annual fee, depending on on how it breaks down, and that can vary. And they also have the option to like, you know, add fees if they need to. There are restaurants on the ship, which your fee would cover 80% of um, the things on the menu. There are, of course, upcharge items, because what would a cruise ship be without menus that had upcharge items? The whole thing, you know, it's interesting. I I mean, if you had $620,000 to plop down and you, you know, my big question is the lease for 24 years or 24 years is about half the price of the price to buy for the life of the ship. Mm-hmm. But is a ship really going to last? You know, that would be uh, 24 years. That would be, what, 24 and 24 is 48. Look how well I did that math. Is a ship really going to last 48 years, or are you better getting the 24-year lease? Doug, what do you think? I mean, they are retiring ships at around 30 years as of right now. So I guess it depends on how long you have to live, too. I mean, I would probably go for the 24 years. 
Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not at my age planning. I'm living much past 24 more years. Um, <laughs> so so I, I really don't know that I need to double the investment there. I, you know, one of the things you and I have talked about before is, you know, could you actually live on a cruise ship? And I don't think I could because for me, going on a cruise is my vacation. That's special. I look forward to it. I, you know, I do cruise countdowns and the whole nine yards. I, if I was living on a ship, it would no longer be special. I can see that. I've, I've been doing this for 13 years and uh, I've done quite a few cruises and I do have a hard time once I get on board to separate myself because I'm always in work mode because it's my life. Yeah. I think if I lived on one, it would just probably get sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think so too. I mean, it Which sounds hard cool, to right? Oh my gosh. I'd love to live on a ship until you actually live on a ship. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Uh, Evan has our listener question this week. He says, "What is a cruise duck, and what is all the rave about these things?" <laughs> That's a great question, Evan. And I remember the first time I heard about this, I was like, "What the duck is this about?" Um, cruise ducks are very, very, very popular. They're also a little bit controversial. Some people really hate them. Um, you know, there have been reports that even some cruise staff hate them and that like if they find them, they throw them away. Here's what a cruise duck is. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a little plastic duck that people take on their cruises and they hide for other people to find. Now, the way most people do it is they put a tag on the bottom that has says something like, you know, you found a cruise duck. It's your choice whether to keep it or to rehide it. And oftentimes there is a, um, a link to a website where they ask you to post a photo and where you found it, that kind of thing. Uh, I have seen people, individuals go on with like, a small suitcase filled with ducks that they intend to hide. I've seen other people who take like, you know, three ducks and hide them. I have, I have never actually found a duck. I've hidden a few ducks. I've never actually found one. Although on, when I was on carnival Mardi Gras, I posted something in the Facebook group um, for that particular cruise saying, gee, you know, I've been looking around and I never found a duck. Oh, well, maybe next time. And when I woke up the next morning, I had 10 ducks outside my door. I didn't even have to find them. Some various people came and dropped them off at <laughs> my, uh, my door and I did rehide them. Um, okay. Cause I think, you know, people think it's just for kids, but no, adults really get into this. So that is what a cruise duck is. And, um, you know, if you go on Amazon or anywhere, you can find rubber duckies and you can find some that are specifically designed for people who want to do them on cruise ships. Um, so there you go, Evan. Have fun. Yeah, there's also a website being rolled out here. Uh, I don't think it's live yet, but it will be probably in the next couple of weeks where you could actually track the duck via a website you could see where it is. That's um, kind of cool. Yeah. So so let's just say um, I find a duck in Port Canaveral. I, I scan the code or whatever, and he has a profile. And then you scan it in Port Canaveral. It just shows you basically where he, quote unquote, swam to over the period of his life. I kind of love that. That, that is the last thing I need is another thing to obsess over. Right? <laughs> so please do not tell me the name of this, this uh, website because, you know, next thing I know, I'll be going out and scanning ducks. Yeah. Well, when he, uh, when he goes live with it, we'll actually, we'll probably have him on the show to talk about it because it seems pretty. Ah, that'd be great. Yeah, pretty cool. Email your questions to Doug at cruiseradio.net. Been talking with staff writer Richard Sims. Richard, enjoy your cruise if we don't talk, buddy. Thanks. Look forward to it. Breaking news. As it happens, online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? 
Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. You're listening to Cruise Radio, the trusted voice of the cruise industry. So John and his wife just returned from a cruise on Royal Caribbean's Harmony of the Seas, a ship that came out in 2016. It's sailing out of Port Canaveral right now, and John is on the line to talk to us all about it. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Doug. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on and being willing to share this review of Harmony. So let's get some pre-cruise thoughts. You're over in Texas. The ship's over in Florida. What made you want to take this cruise on Harmony of the Seas? So the big draw for us was getting to visit Coco Cay. We had a cruise lined up uh, in 2020 to visit Coco Cay that was canceled, as you know, like so many others were. And so we rebooked and were, were able to get on this one. But that was our main driving motivator was getting to visit the private island. Okay. And you make your way over to, uh, well, I guess Orlando. Any pre-cruise time in the Port Canaveral, Orlando area? Yeah, we got in a day early and we went to to NASA on the day before the cruise. So we went to the Kennedy Space Center, uh, got to tour that, and it was pretty cool. We were there pretty much all day, seeing all the all the exhibits they have. So we came in a day early, and that was what we filled that day with. It was fun. Living over in Texas, have you ever done the what is it, the Johnson Space Center over there and around Houston? Yes, we have. Uh, it has been a while. I felt the Kennedy was was just so much more. There was so much more to see. Uh, it was it was way cooler. So yeah, me being kind of a space nerd, I was I was really excited to get to see that. Yeah, did you take the tour out there? It's like thirty minutes or an hour to take you out to the launch pad to the uh, I think it was the Saturn exhibit they just put out there a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's like a whole building yeah. where they they show you about those Apollos the Apollo ships, and yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, so cool. So you go to embark Harmony of the Seas the next day. How was your embarkation process? It was good. It, it went very well. So we had uh, we had a ten thirty appointment or, or check in time. Uh, we got the terminal by that ten fifteen. I had rented a car for those first two days, uh, you know, to get us to the space center and get us around. So uh, I did a, a rental drop off with budget, and they had a, a, a one uh, a terminal close by the the pier, and, and we were able to do a shuttle. So we got there on ten fifteen. Checked in right at ten thirty, and we were on the ship at right out after eleven. It was it was pretty quick and pretty pretty streamlined. Wow! So when you fly in, you rent a car and you return it uh, at Port Canaveral, so Orlando to Port Canaveral. Is there an extra drop off fee associated with that? For this one, there was not. Uh, I checked uh, Budget Avis; those were the two I was considering. And for both of them, we were allowed to drop off at their office there by the cruise terminal, and there was no one-way fee. So that's why I did it. It was it was a great, uh, great benefit. Nice. So you make your way on board Harmony. What were your first impressions once on board? It was awesome. This was our, I believe, our fourth Royal cruise, and 
this is our first on an Oasis class. So just the sheer size of the ship and the decor blew us away. Uh, you know, like I said, we're veterans of Royal, but seeing all the stuff on the ship and seeing the different areas and, and the different amenities, it, it was, it was awesome. So yeah, our first impression was really just getting blown away by the size and everything that's on there. What other Royal ships have you been on? Most recent, we sailed in September on Independence, mm-hmm. which was nice. Before that, we were on Enchantment, which obviously is an older ship. And we've also sailed on Mariner. So a good range. Uh, obviously, Mariner and Independence aren't, aren't small, you know, in their own right. But compared to Harmony, it was, it was night and day. Yeah, I was going to say, even with the million-dollar refurbs of those, at least for Harmony and Mariner, that's uh, those ships don't compare to this one. This one has like all the bells and whistles. It, what kind of stateroom did you book for this seven-night cruise? So we had a, an ocean view balcony. It was actually our first time having a balcony. We, used, we started out doing interiors. Last time around, we did an ocean view. This time, we went ahead and got the balcony, which was also awesome. So we were so happy that we, we did that on this cruise. And how was your experience in there as far as size, the balcony, space, and uh, electronic plugs for your gear, et cetera? It was good. The stateroom was nice. Uh, the plugs were good. Obviously, you know, it's a newer ship, so there was plenty of plugs throughout the cabin. Uh, the balcony was also very nice. It was just me and my wife, so obviously there was plenty of room for us to go out there and, and you know, sit or, or look out, you know, at the port or the ocean. So for the two of us, it was perfect size. We do have kids. If we were ever to take our kids, it might be a little tight, but uh, for us, too, it was perfect. Very good. Let's talk about dining on this cruise, and we'll start at the top at the Windjammer Buffet area. How was your dining experience, and how was Royal Caribbean doing the dining? I know when the cruise industry first started, it was all crew-served, and every ship is kind of doing something different now. How was it on your ship? Yeah, so it was back to back to pre-COVID. It was, uh, you know, you wash your hands when you go in. It was completely self-serve. It was fine. We're not huge fans of the Windjammer. Uh, we always, you know, usually try to eat there on Invocation Day, which we did. We also had a breakfast there a couple times. Um, so, yeah, it was good. The, the, the food was, you know, about what you see. You know, it was, I, I hate to call it average, but it was better than average. Uh, but nothing that'll blow you away. But uh, but it was it was pretty solid. And uh, it, was, it would get crowded, you know. So, again, you know, going back to the pre- pre-COVID times where it would get really crowded. And that was the case here. Sometimes it was hard to find a seat, but, but yeah, it was pretty good. No, no complaints. Very good. Let's talk about the main dining room experience. So what time dining did you have and how was your experience there through the seven days? So we had my time dining uh, where you could go in and make a reservation for a time. Uh, we did that for four nights. Uh, we ate at some um, specialty restaurants at nights. It was good. The only thing that was a little strange, we, we always do my time and we always pick about six to six thirty. That's our go-to time. Uh, the, the only thing, and I don't know if this was because of staffing, but you know, we've, we've had a reservation and every night we'd go down to the dining room and there'd be a line, you know, pretty good line mm-hmm. waiting for folks to be seated. We've never had that happen before on any prior cruises. So I don't know if it was a staffing thing and they were just overwhelmed. Um, but that was strange. We used, we had to wait usually 10, 15 minutes to be seated, which isn't bad, but it was just different from what we've experienced before. Once you were seated, was the dining service and everything right on cue? The service was pretty good. Um, we felt that the waiters seemed a little rushed. Again, wondering if maybe they were you know short or covering more tables. Sure. They were responsive. They filled your drinks. You know, obviously the food came out. It was hot. It was the right food, the right 
you know, everything was right. It was just the experience more so was a little rushed than what we usually experience in the main dining room. Did y'all do any specialty dining throughout the ship? Yeah. So I actually got a three night dining package that I had bought pre-cruise. And so throughout the cruise, we did the Izumi Hibachi for lunch one day. We also did the Sabor uh, Mexican uh, for dinner one day. And then we did the Jamie's Italian uh, for dinner one day as well. Now, did you notice that that pre-cruise package that you bought, was that a lot cheaper than if you were to buy everything a la carte when you got on board the ship? Yes, it was a good amount. I don't have the numbers, but when I booked it, it was like 99 a person or I think 90 a person versus for those restaurants, you're talking about 40 a person if you if you do them, you know, you know, on the boat. So, yeah, we were happy that we got it for that good price. It was on a, it was on one of those sales they run. Um, I think it was either Black Friday or uh, one of those sales that they run through, uh, before the cruise. Now, Azumi, uh, and pardon my ignorance here, I know it's probably some type of Asian restaurant, but is it like teppanyaki and sushi and everything like that? Or is it uh, without the teppanyaki table? How does that work? Yeah, so they actually have both. So you can you can get a table at either or. We got the teppanyaki when they make the food right in front of you, and, and they're pretty small tables. There's only two, and they hold only about eight to ten people. So uh, we definitely – that was one of the things we had on the first day we got that reservation. We had to run down there and get that because those went fast. Uh, they also do have the sushi side, which I've heard uh, is easier to get a reservation there, but the teppanyaki side goes pretty quick. So uh, I really wanted to try that. We've been on the ship with that before, but we've never gotten, been able to get a reservation. So we were excited to be able to experience it. And it's cool. You know, the, the, the chefs play with the food, you know, and, and throw things up. And so it, it was real neat to see kind of the show, I guess. I always, every time I go into one of those restaurants, either land or on a ship, I always think like, how burnt out is this chef saying Chinese chicken or whatever he's saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> Vol- onion yeah. volcano, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, too, because you would hear the one chef on the other table make the joke, and then two seconds later, we would get the same uh-huh. joke. So, yeah, I, I feel yeah. <laughs> it, it happens. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then Jamie's Italian, pretty solid. Yeah, that was probably our favorite meal of the cruise. You know, what we lacked in the dining room, it seemed like the specialties just had it spot on with the service. They were so attentive. They would explain the menu, you know, point things out, you know, hey, this is what our top dish is. Yeah, Jamie's was our favorite. The fresh pasta was amazing. The the appetizers were great. The desserts were, I, I think, the best that we had. So, yeah, Jamie's blew us away. So we definitely would would go back to Jamie's if we were on a on a ship with it. And what was that third one you went to? Oh, it was Sabor Mexican. I've seen some other ships are phasing Sabor out, so uh, I've heard it's kind of a dying uh, breed in the Royal Caribbean fleet. But it was decent. I mean. You know, you start with your chips and guacamole, and then, you know, they have a wide selection of tacos and things like that. Uh, it was pretty solid. Uh, no complaints. It was very good. We're, you know, we're from Texas, so we got a lot of Mexican down here. So mm-hmm. it held up. It held up pretty well. Very good. And then any other food around the ship, maybe like a late night pizza or a food by the pool or anything that you may have dabbled in? We hit the Sorrento's pizza up a few times, and it was good. It was it was on par for for Royals, uh, what we see on Royal all the time. So that was good. We also had uh, they have a section here on Harmony called Mini Bites. Uh, it was like burgers and chicken fingers and fries. That was pretty solid. It's, it's on the pool deck, so it's a good kind of go to snack area. Harmony also has a hot dog area on the boardwalk. 
which was pretty good. I mean, it's hot dogs. There's different mm-hmm. types of sausages and, and things, but it was good. So yeah, uh, no complaints. Everything uh, we had, we, we were happy with. And like I said, we frequented those kind of quick service spots, you know, here and there throughout the cruise. All right. And how was the entertainment on this seven night sailing? It was great. I will say there were some things that, again, I, I don't know if it's because of staffing, but some of the things we we realized were probably in maybe a smaller venue than they could have been. So we love watching karaoke on cruises and the karaoke bar that they had, it was just so small that you'd have to get there 30, 45 minutes ahead to get a seat. So that was kind of a bummer because we always love to kind of watch, you know, sit back and watch, watch karaoke. So we missed that. Uh, the trivias were pretty full. The shows and the um, theaters were great. Those were great. It was just the smaller events that I feel probably could have been maybe better utilized in a larger venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just to allow more people to to take part. But but it, it was still they were still good. And there was a lot of stuff. So much stuff going on at all, at all times. Did you do anything uh, like a flow rider or that big slide or anything like that on board? We did the water slide on the ship. And we did the dry slide. I, um, the name is blanking on me, but it's it's the abyss, I believe. Um, those were cool. Yeah, the the water slides were cool, and and the dry slide is is cool as well. So yeah, we did you know take part in those. So those were those are really really awesome to be kind of riding on those, and you realize you're on a cruise ship. It's it 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 kind of takes you away. Were there any ramblings around the ship on how full it was? We never heard officially, but uh, we heard other guests say that it was about 95 to 100. So not, not an official. I didn't hear it from a crew member, but mm-hmm. other guests were saying that it was pretty cool. How was the casino area with smoke in and around it? So we didn't gamble, uh, but we did walk through a couple times just getting to another venue. You could definitely smell the smoke right as you got to the entrance. And obviously, as you're walking through it wasn't overwhelming. Like if, you know, uh, if we wanted to sit and play, it wouldn't have bothered us. It's just mm-hmm. not something that we usually do. So yeah, it, it was, it, it was there. You could definitely notice it as you walk through. Very good. Let's talk about the sea days on this seven night cruise. How were they as far as crowds and congestion? The sea days were pretty crowded there. You know, it was, it was hard to get a, a seat at the pool deck. Obviously there was a lot of people, you know, up there saving their seats as they usually do. This ship has a solarium for adults only, but it doesn't have a pool, so it's just a it's just an adult only area. You could usually find a chair there, but you know, obviously, you're away from the pool. But so yeah, it, it was pretty crowded, and it seems like there was a lot of folks, you know, uh, taking up space by the pool deck. Gotcha. Well, how about the ports of call on this seven night cruise? What we'll do here is give us a port of call and give us the highlight, and we'll go to the next one. Sure. So the first spot that we stopped at was St. Kitts. We did a, a bus tour at St. Kitts. Uh, basically, the, you know, the bus took us through town, showed us a couple of, of you know, spots, and also took us to a botanical garden there. It was real pretty. Uh, we, you know, we liked seeing you know, but, you know, the local plants, and there was some local art that they had for sale at the, at the botanical garden. It was very nice. You know, the only thing I will say, driving through the town, it, it was obviously, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, poverty and a lot of the buildings are broken down. So it's a little sad. I'm, I'm hoping that with cruising being back, that it's able to help out those local folks because, yeah, it was it was a lot kind of worse than we've seen in the past. But uh, but we had a good time. Gotcha. And your next port of call? Next port of call was St. Thomas. Mm-hmm. So for St. Thomas, we visited Megan's Bay on a tour. 
That was so, that was absolutely beautiful. Um, getting to, you know, we drove there and we had about, I think two and a half to three hours there, uh, on the beach and just got to kind of relax. Uh, it, it was, we got there pretty early and it was so quiet and the water was calm. It was cool. Water was cold, but the water was so calm and just kind of getting to enjoy the nice quiet beach was, was great. Uh, we did some shopping after that. They took us to a shopping area we kind of realized that since St. Thomas is a United States Virgin Island, the, the prices were a little bit out of, you know, out of whack compared to, you know, the St. Kitts prices. So that was one thing to, to make note of, but yeah, it was very beautiful. And, and we, we liked that uh, the Naked Bay was, was, was awesome. Now, when you say they were not aligned with St. Kitts, was it more expensive or cheaper in St. Thomas? Oh, St. Thomas was more expensive by far. Uh, even okay. just the knickknacks, keychains, and shot glasses. It was, I mean, you're talking, you know, where something would be a couple dollars in St. Kitts, it'd be five or six dollars in, in St. Thomas. Wow. Um, so, yeah, everything was more expensive. Gotcha. So, after St. Thomas, our last stop was uh, a perfect day at Coco Cay. We didn't get there till about 1030. That was a little bit of a bummer. We were the only ship there, though, so that was nice. Uh, to be the only ship in port. It was fun. We we spent some time at the water park. We took advantage of some of those items there. We also hit up the, the big pool they have there and the, the swim-up bar. Did some kind of, you know, shopping at those local vendors around the, you know, around the island and had a good time. It was a good relaxing time there. Uh, we just wish we would have gotten there earlier to spend more time there. As far as the value for what you paid for the water park and what you did, you think it's on par? This was another purchase that I got on the Black Friday sale way before the cruise. And I want to say I got it for something, you know, it was like 75 per person. If you bought it on the ship, it was going close to about 120. I don't know if, I don't know if I'd pay the 120, but from what, what we paid, I was happy with what we got for the price. Yeah, that was a heck of a deal that you got. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it went up a lot, yeah. especially if we got closer. Yeah, for sure. Well, you get back to Port Canaveral. How was Debark? It was good. Uh, so, you know, again, we're back to the pre-COVID where they shuffle you out of your room and, you, and you're able to go to wait somewhere. So we were in the dining room. We had an airport transfer, so they had us. We were one of the last ones to get off the ship there in the dining room. And we were pretty much just waiting you know, they had some pastries and coffee there, uh, and it was just kind of waiting to get off. And once we got off, picked up luggage, got on the bus, and they took us to the airport. So it was it was smooth. Uh, back to the the pre COVID uh, process. Did you fly straight home from Debark? Well, we did. We just had we had a pretty good uh, amount of time. The, the uh, I don't think our departing flight left until it was early evening. So I think it was about six or seven. So. We uh, we pretty much just found a nice cozy spot in the airport and tried to uh, do our best to make the time. Uh, so it, that was a, a little bit of a uh, you know a boring wait, but I think the price of the flight was good and it was a nonstop, so yeah. uh, we didn't have to worry about uh, getting caught up at a at a layover or anything like that. John, have you ever have you ever heard of the um, the app or the website called dayuse.com? No, that's, that one's new to me. So I do it all the time when I have, because the later flights are always cheaper for like when I go like out to Salt right. Lake and stuff. Um, it le- basically lets you rent 
a hotel room, a block of time in a hotel room for like four to six hours, sometimes eight hours. And it's at a fraction of the price. Like I'll go to the, um, like the four points in Salt Lake city and pay $39 for six hours because, because I'm not overnighting. I'm just waiting for the plane to, um, or waiting for my flight time. So go to the pool or shower, whatever you want to do, watch TV. This way it keeps you out of the airport. And like for a fraction of the price, mm-hmm. I've probably used it about, gosh, dozens of times at this point over the past 10 years, and I swear by it. I always tell people who are at the airport waiting, like, if it's in the budget to to pay a few extra bucks with an an airport with a shuttle that takes you back to the airport and all that stuff, it's totally worth checking out. It's day use. That is good to know. I'm going to write that down and look into that. That is awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah, that wasn't sponsored. That was just me telling you because I hate being in the airports <laughs> too. It's uh, It does really suck. So looking back yeah. at this trip, uh, do you have any first-time tips to offer anyone who may be going to Perfect Day or Sailing on Harmony of the Seas? Yeah, I would just say just keep keep a close eye on that cruise planner and really look at the different options. There's so much to do. You, you probably won't get to do it all, but you know, just uh, pick out one of your top things. And then, you know, I would say get there early. Like I said, if you really want to do something, don't think you can just show up because it'll be full. So get there early. And Coco Cay, the same thing. I would say um, get off the ship as early as you can and, you know, get on the beach or at the pool and get your spot and, and start enjoying, uh, enjoying the island. Yeah, it sounds like also just the overall trip in itself is to book everything that you think you want in advance because you're going to save sometimes 50%. Oh, yes. Yeah, we got a good deal on the dining package. We also bought the drink package. We, I got that at a pretty at a pretty good price, too. So, yeah, I'm a big advocate of always pre-purchasing as much as I can. Uh, that way, I uh, hopefully get it at a, at a better price. And also, it gets kind of the cost out of the way, so you don't have that big bill at the end. Did you buy the Wi-Fi package on this sailing? Yes, this one we did. We bought it. We, so, like I said, we, we have two, uh, two kids, and they were staying with, with uh, my parents, their grandparents. And so we wanted the package so we could call, you know, check in on them, being able to send pictures and things like that. So, yes, we bought the package. The, um, they have two. It, it was the more expensive one. It was the surf and stream, they call it, where you can, they claim you can be able to, you know, surf the web and also stream uh, streaming videos if you need to. I like how you said they claim. Did you have any issues with it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, one of the days, I don't recall which day, one of the days it was, it was pretty spotty where we were having trouble getting connection. The rest of the days it was fine. Uh, we were able to call, check in on the kids, you know, for checking email, it was fine. We didn't really try to stream much, you know, so I can't speak to that, but for calling, which is the most, you know, data intensive thing we did, it was one day where it, it didn't hold up, but the rest of the day, so for the most of the time, it was fine. Gotcha. What was the biggest highlight of this cruise for y'all? I would say probably Coco Cay. It was it was an awesome island, and uh, like I said, we just wish we had more time there. But yeah, we had a great time. Very nice. Well, what were your final thoughts in closing here of Harmony of the Seas? It's an awesome ship. There's so much to do. The shows were great. The food was great, especially those specialty restaurants. So it, it, it's such a big ship that, you know, you can definitely take some time getting used to it. But once you kind of get it down and know where things are and take advantage of all the stuff that's there, it blew us away, uh, the amount of stuff that we could do. So, yeah, we had a great time. And I would definitely encourage for anybody looking for that big ship experience that Harmony is, is definitely a great option. Well, John, welcome back, my friend, and thank you so much for sharing this review. We really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Doug. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 